And welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. We are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. We're here Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Monday mornings at 1 a.m. streaming live at richarddugan.com. As well as podcasting on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM. TuneIn Radio, I believe I said, Blueberry, Player FM. I'm repeating myself, so go to any one of these or others that folks are actually linking us to. Thank you for doing that. I greatly appreciate that. I can't find them all, and uh, you folks are spreading the word about this program and what we're trying to accomplish in, in, as far as uh, uh, changing the world, so to speak, finding those new ways of living. And in the, uh, in the times in which we live right now as the 21st century, and here we are in the second quarter of uh, 2020, the year of perfect vision, uh, we are going to... Uh, Take a look at that uh, challenging time that we're in and see what's there and what the possibilities are uh, and not just sit there and, and worry and fret about uh, the, uh, shall we call them, the disabilities of the year uh, and, and this particular period of time. Today's program, of course, is, uh, is a podcast and it's also available to you in that respect. And we also encourage you to go to our guest website. We'll be giving that to you shortly so that you can, can not only continue your evolutionary process, but also contact our guest and get more information and, uh, and do the things that, that are so meaningful to you. And, uh, it seems as though uh, here we are, um, 22 years after a major uh, upheaval, and uh, here we are going through another upheaval, which is very interesting. Um, and we're going to find out uh, about that and about how you can go about the process of crafting your edge for today's job market. And some people might think that's kind of silly, considering that most people right now some of people, some of the people, don't even have jobs because they can't go to work because their job, their in place of employment, is shut down. Well, we're going to be using the B Edge method for consulting cases and capstone projects with Julia Ivy. I want to thank you so much for joining us on the program. I think this is, I do believe this is a rather apropos conversation to have at this time. Because of uh, learning from history, and again, as I said, 22 years ago, we went through something uh, similar in the sense that, um, and it troubles me that it seems to be that people have managed to make it the focal point of our existence, and that is the economy. Uh, You know, it's like no matter what happens, well, this is going to have a major impact on the economy, blah, 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 blah. And I'm going, well, wait a minute. I always thought that having relationships and community was even more important because if you don't have relationships and you don't have community, you don't have economy anyway. Um, But uh, 22 years ago, we had an economic downturn, uh, basically caused by another disease, another virus called greed. And uh, after that happened, hundreds of thousands of people lost their jobs. They were all laid off. They were let go. The companies closed, et cetera, et cetera. And shortly thereafter, Julia, we had an entrepreneurial boom. I mean, it was a, an atomic blast, if you will. People were no longer working at the jobs that they worked at, that their parents worked at, that their parents worked at, etc. Doing a job that I suspect, and maybe there are some statistics, these people hated their jobs anyway. So to lose the job was actually a stress release. 
What about now? Um, here we are 22 years later. I am fortunate so far because we're in the dissemination of information vetted. We'd like to believe that what we're sharing is accurate. Um, and um, uh, so, uh, you know, I've got something I can do there. You're a professor. Yep. And you certainly could teach online if that were your choice and, and that, that opportunity was available. But there are a lot of folks who, you know, they don't have that opportunity per se. Uh, but this virus that we're dealing with right now, this uh, contagion, if you will, this will pass. This too will pass. No, there's nothing permanent. And we will then go back to what it is that we do, and that is providing products and services to everybody else, uh, hopefully quality at a good price, um, to sort of get things rolling again. Uh, is is that uh, – it, it seems to me like your book is, is coming out, ironically, at the right time. Exactly. Thank you so much, first of all, for having me in your podcast. And I'm very uh, flattered to outreach to all people who are in your audience. And, yeah, so this time, uh, if we just leave the first part of my book, it's exactly what – people can do right now. So they can do, they can and they should use this hard time as, as sadly to say, as opportunity for them to recalibrate maybe their uh, vision and to craft their edge for the market which we have all right now. But also it's opportunity for people, but also for the companies to find a new way of doing things and maybe to look more closely to their own employees, to their own resources they have right now inside of the company, people who are sitting in their apartments, in their houses, and uh, feel scared, stressful, maybe bored a little bit, and ask them, guys, what skill set you have, maybe not directly related to your job, what you used to do, but maybe something different, what we all together can look and find our new way of serving our clients. And this is the opportunity for leadership right now and for proactive people inside of companies to find their new way. Well, we're certainly not getting the kind of leadership that most of us would expect from our politicians. It's just not there. They're still worried about the optics. They're still worried about uh, who is going to be uh, held uh, accountable and responsible and to blame if things don't go the way they think they should and so on and so forth. They're still worried about getting reelected, which to me is just it's sick, in my opinion. That's just ridiculous. But the one thing I am seeing that is of a positive nature is that companies and corporations across this country especially are actually taking proactive measures to protect their people. They're actually focusing on the human being for a change and not the bottom line. And at the same time, they do. And they need instruments to do this. And 
not just protecting their employees, their uh, kind of security of job security, money, which is extremely important. And this is number one for all of us priority. But the second challenge they have of how to keep people involved. You know, when we are in our cubicles, when we are in our office, when we just say hello to each other or have coffee in the same place and just exchange our ideas, it keeps us together, even if we do our jobs independently. Now we can keep our job independently, but we cannot, I don't know, touch each other's shoulder or just like say, great to see you or having coffee together. Yeah. So the challenge they have right now, it's how to keep the culture of the organization together, like how to keep people involved and empowered because feeling of empowerment is something what can help them to, uh, to deal with the stress, to just forget about all these bad times, what we have right now, but focus on future. So my, uh, my methods suggest them that just to look at these people as uh, uh, not what they did yesterday, when we had kind of normal time, but look at them, how opportunities for do for future. And again, contribute and ask for them, all of them to contribute to the kind of, you know, shared pool of expertise, of ideas, of uh, social connections, what we all have besides our work. And this is, would be the step number one they can. They just have to outreach their people and say, as we are all together, this is a kind of maybe like shared holder or folder or website or some kind of pool of your ideas, what we can do differently. Mm -hmm. And this is, would be the first and extremely important uh, move. And also encourage them, again, to go beyond their yesterday's job. Like, for instance, if... Um, if one of my uh, former clients, like David, he worked for insurance company and he did his job very well. He was fine, but also he had other expertise. He was good in sport and he was good in brewery, in his own brewery. Oh, I have so many friends who are veterans. You know, they work for the companies right now doing their other job but they all have expertise from the previous life, from the previous service for the country, how to deal with situations right now, like we have right now. Or people who changed careers. Like even you, Richard, I'm positive that besides being a wonderful host for the radio, you have like a, a list of other expertise. So oh, this yeah. is a pool of something what we can contribute and say, besides me to be a professor or you, to be a radio host, or David to be an insurance specialist, we also have a different expertise. So when we pull this all together in the same place and we look together, this is will solve number one problem. It will keep us involved, it will keep us empowered, and it will let leadership to be together with us instead of like you mentioned, you know, thinking who is in charge and who is to blame. Yeah. This is, would be the, the number one step. And if we look at this list of all expertise we have, we can really elucidate our multidimensional core, each of us and the company together. 
And this is would be the step number one I suggest us doing right now for leaders of the community, for the leaders of organizations, and yeah, maybe the leaders of other level, but it's up to them. You know, each level is a leadership. Even the family is a unit where somebody can say, hey, we all have different expertise and uh, what we can do together, like to look what the, you know, pool of all skills, interest, capabilities, social connections, we can look at. Yeah. I think that that is the first place that uh, a lot of folks did look at back in 2008, 2009 when they lost their jobs and realized, oh, man, I'm I'm I better figure out what I'm going to do here because, yes, I've got to pay the bills. I've got to put I got to pay the rent or the mortgage, food on the table, gas in the car and so on and so forth. And yet at the same time, even with that particular stressor. Um, they began to realize, well, gee, uh, I could do, and as you just stated, they probably made some kind of a list or had some idea of what it was that they wanted to do with their lives other than what they were doing. And <clears throat> and they began to uh, uh, pursue that, which was, in, you know, that to me is pretty incredible that they would have had that much foresight uh to, to come up with uh, the ideas that, that change their lives and ours too, because, you know, I don't know how many of these entrepreneurs have uh, had their companies grow into maybe corporations, you know, nas- multinational or international corporations. And if we, if, when we think about that, over 100 years ago, when people were immigrating to the United States from all over the world and going through Ellis Island, uh, all they had maybe were, if any coins in their pocket, and a dream coming to the land of opportunity. Uh, and do you think that the, the, the native-born citizens of America, of the United States, have forgotten that this is the land of opportunity for them, too? Uh, as you hear my accent, I'm not native-born in the United States. I was going to guess, but I'm not going to be rude. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you, because sometimes we become annoyed with the question, like, where are you from? Yeah, so I was born in the Soviet Union, and Soviet Union collapsed on my watch. So it's just, it was quite a stress. That's why maybe it make many people like me immune to, you know, to apocalypses, what we have right now, because we already went through one of those. And, uh, you know, but who are people who were born in the United States. They also, we all have, I am a United States citizen, right? My children are United States citizens. I speak with accent, my children don't. But we all have roots somewhere. Mm-hmm. And the whole idea of America, that's why I choose this country. That's why I'm absolutely in love with this country. And I worked in many, many, many countries. I worked in uh Again, and of course, in Italy, I worked in uh, Ukraine, Belarus, Russia. I worked in Vietnam. I worked in Australia. I worked in Spain, in England. And United States is the best, I tell you. Because of this fluidity, because we know that at the end of the day, it's all on us, all us together. And this is a land of opportunity where we can shape, we can shape our space. We can craft our age. And nobody will tell us, hey, you are wrong. You cannot do this because you are not allowed. Just like who said so? I am allowed. 
and this is my life, and I'm crafting my edge. So the only what maybe you and me, I think, honestly, it's in our roots. We can all do this. And mm -hmm. I say we with a pride, because I'm American right now, right? Mm -hmm. What we need, we need an instrument. And this is what my book and my even my passion and this is how i am trying to change the world to provide people with instrument what where to start what to do next what to do after this and what the outcomes they can receive and back to your comment about the boom of entrepreneurship i'm 300 with you together oh. with this <laughs> they can craft their edge within their own companies right now they don't have to start their own business. You know, this is the one avenue to start your own business. And there are so many people who want to do this. And I do have my own company, so I am with them. But there are many people who just feel more comfortable inside their organization or inside large, inside large corporations. So they can pr uh, proceed with the entrepreneurship. So offer their own projects, de develop their own age within the companies. This is the idea number two. Well, let me ask you a question in regards to your coming from uh, the Soviet bloc countries. When did you emigrate here? I'm curious. 2003. Okay. Now, there are people in this country, born and raised, who are utterly cynical they are critical. They don't believe that uh, they, they think that they're being held down. In other words, they, they take on the victimhood, OK, that the man is keeping me down, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, that they don't believe they have opportunities or, as I like to put it more so, they don't believe they have choices. I am curious. You came to the United States with that thought of, you know, this being the land of opportunity. So you're saying that there was absolutely no way in your lifetime that you would be able to pursue the things that you wanted back prior to 2003 in, in the Soviet Union, in Russia? Ron. First of all, not Russia. I'm not from Russia. I beg your pardon. Yeah, but uh, Ron, I know I could. I could proceed opportunities in, uh, in my former countries, and I did. Okay. Again, we are where we are. And I, I don't blame my previous life at all. I received a good education and I received good support and I, not support, but no, my like friendship support, like social capital. And I did craft my own edge in my own country before. Mm -hmm. And I was top five consultants before I uh, left for United States. So it's not the place which define us. It's us who define us. This is my belief. Okay. And United States, what is the best of United States that we, it's a fluid, I don't know how to say it's best way. It's a really welcoming people who want to pursue their own opportunities. Okay. It's a welcoming people who say, it's my dream. I want to change the world. I want to craft my edge. And people say, okay, go ahead. And this is what the best about United States. Okay. And I, 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 I understand what you're saying. I'm still trying to figure out why, if you could have done it in the other countries that you were living in prior to 2003, that you didn't. 
It's a complicated question. So I have a family. I had a family and uh, I mean, I did. And mm-hmm. I'm coming back every single summer to, uh, to the countries where I was born. And I share my expertise with people there. And I developed my business based in United States and in Eastern Europe. So for me, place, it's not what defines us. I wanted to belong, belong to the global setting and develop my expertise on a global level. And United States, Boston especially, is a very good place to be global. So I don't feel that, you know, like I'm not one of those immigrants who were very local in one place, then moved very locally to another place and blame everything what was before and uh, um, and just do there locally again, I develop my expertise globally. And right now mm-hmm. I work with 22 countries. Mm-hmm. I, my, my, my methods is developed in 22 countries and we help you know, companies to solve their challenges through this project, through BH methods in all these countries. And it's, much easier from United States and then from uh, Belarus or Ukraine. And uh, um, again, I, I just don't feel that the place defines me, but mm-hmm. I define myself. Well, first of all, Julia, I want to thank you for being here, not only on this program, but here in this country to take advantage of the opportunities that are available to everybody. But I think we tend to forget that sometimes, especially when times are hard. And now may be one of those times. Uh, I don't know how much you know about, uh, for example, astrology, but every once in a while you'll hear this phrase, Mercury is in retrograde. Well, those people who know anything about astrology, they go berserk. Oh, my gosh, the the world is coming to an end. And the reality is that uh, that is a time, as as many of uh, these folks that I've spoken with say, no, 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 it's not a time to be afraid. It's a time to observe. And it is a time of opportunity. So in a matter of speaking, you might say that this world and this country in particular uh, is going through a Mercury in retrograde of sorts, and it is now the time for opportunity. And that opportunity is going to avail itself to our listeners through the book and your work, uh, Crafting Your Edge for Today's Job Market Using the B Edge. And by the way, her website, B Edge, uh, it's B-E hyphen E-D-G-E dot com. And it's the B-Edge method for consulting cases and uh, a capstone projects. And I would like to go through those. Now, you've already talked about number one, uh, the very first one, which has to do with uh, basically you want to elucidate your professional focus and aspirations, the core of your multidimensional profile. And as you said, yes, I, I love doing this. And when you talk about, well, you know, I'm sure you have other things on your list, Richard, that you could do. And it's like, yeah, but I don't want to really do anything else. Yes, I can build computers and I can do production and editing. I can record audiobooks. I can do this and this. But I like, I like what you and I are doing right here. And I don't want to have to give that up. But I think that... In order for us to meet the challenges that are before us, immediately before us, uh, we do need to sit down with a piece of paper and a pencil or pen. Uh, I, I say that only because it becomes more real when you do it on paper as opposed to on a computer or your phone. But nonetheless, whatever method you choose, 
and make a list of those things that you can do and even maybe two lists, the ones that you can do and the ones that you really like to do, that you have an aptitude for. Uh, I don't know about Absolutely. I don't know about you, Julia. I took an aptitude test when I was 19. Are you ready for this? It came out that I should be a farmer. Now, I told you before the interview started that we have chickens, so I'm kind of both. <laughs> I'm <fun>. Exactly, <laughs> and you know what? How we define farming? It's an excellent example. Thank you, Richard. Mm-hmm. So when we do all the list, and let's say in your list will be like audiobooks and interviews and computers and farming, right? So if you do all the list, you can combine. You can kind of see how you can combine couple of them in one something coherent. Your core, which what you are doing right now, you are farming, kind of like growing these new ways of uh, people looking around themselves. Instead of just like hunting, you really kind of farming and uh, making people grow, making our ideas grow. So farming is a part of you, I I should say. And this is the kind of like exactly multidimensional core I'm talking about. And even you are great as a uh, radio host. And I'm great as a professor. And we love doing what we are doing. But what makes you a special radio host and what makes me special professor that we differentiate ourselves from other hosts or radio hosts or other professors with this kind of like, you know, points of differentiation. And this is what I mean. So this is a step number one, elucidate your professional core. When we define that I am a, like, for instance, let's take me. I'm a strategy professor, right? Mm -hmm. But I also have another PhD. I have two PhDs and another one in psychology. So, I still teach strategy, but psychology as my second part makes me first capable to develop this strategy for people, expertise, and be a a coach and consultant for people, how they develop their personal strategy. Mm -hmm. But also, number three, my expertise, I'm a case writer, and I published many, many cases, including like they are listed in Harvard, uh, Harvard Business um, Review website, etc. So I combine the three expertise into something one is a center. And I love your idea that it should be a pencil. And we can just move from the list to kind of the diagram with the circle number one, me as a, you know, psychologist. Mm -hmm. The circle number two, me as a strategist. The circle number three, me as a case writer. In intersection of all three, this is my core. Mm -hmm. You have your own core. So one would be somebody like a farmer. Again, if you look what is a farming is, Farming is to be patient for, you know, growing something and to be observant and to be uh, respectful to the nature what we deal with. This is would be the circle number one. Circle number one, number two, will be talking with people and helping them to express what they're inside of them. 
And this is, would be circle number two. And number three would be the media, like being comfortable with whatever is media gives us. Your intersection would be Richard, you. So this is what I mean, elucidate your professional core. And then you define your core as a, you know, like you will be somebody who knows how to talk people through media resources, but also helping them growing uh, their own views through your programs. This is your elucidated core. And I've also found as, uh, as I've gone through my career, I've come across some people uh, in positions of authority who do not want to share their expertise, do not want to share the aspects of their job because out of fear that if I share this with somebody else, they're going to they're going to pass me over and they're going to give the job or, or my job to somebody else. And I've actually taken the opposite approach. I want to share everything I know with uh, everybody around me because I want to move on to do other things. So I think a lot of people, maybe they're learning that now that uh, in one sense, when you hold on to that information about your job, you are uh, basically choosing to stay stuck and uh, stagnant in one sense. Now, that's different from if you really enjoy what you're doing. That's fine. But um, I, I really believe that we need to be about, and that's part of the reason for this program. I, I come to people such as yourself saying, hey, we're, we, we've got to find these new ways of living. We've got to find out how to move forward uh, as a civilization, uh, hopefully without destroying ourselves, uh, and make this a better world for everybody, not just a select few. Have you found in your uh, uh, consulting and so forth uh, that um, companies are starting to to learn that it's not the head of the company that makes the money, but it's the people, shall we use the analogy of a pyramid, it's the people at the bottom of the pyramid that are actually the ones that make the money. It's not, it's the people who are actually making the product or providing the actual service that are the ones that bring the money in for the people at the top. Are they starting to realize how important these people are? Yeah, yeah, of course, if we look at all the companies, let's say all the companies we have in the world, right? And we put them to the in the line from the least successful, the kind of failure companies, mm -hmm. the rigid companies which just just not succeed. And on the opposite will be the most successful companies, the best return on investment, et cetera, et cetera. So we all have the whole progression, how they treat their people. So the companies which will be in successful part, they do. They did realize this. And especially they need these people who are edge crafters because innovation comes through multidimensional ideas. You know, like, if the companies want to be innovative, if the companies want to grow, they know that they need more brains than just one, two, three, five people on the top. And they even more brains than they have in their RID, you know, research and development uh, department. They need people to, you know, to share their ideas across the company. And they need avenue for doing this. And this is exactly what I ask them for keep doing and if they develop this and they have different instruments for people to share the ideas let's say you have somebody in your company 
who is in the bottom line, like working with the customers, and they have brilliant ideas. How do you share them? So Starbucks already developed this avenue. So of course, Apple developed their avenue. Each company can develop their own avenue. So BH is the avenue which is make it so easy, so consistent how to do this. You just have to announce that make your case is the uh, initiative for the company open the door for people with their ideas and say, come to us and share these ideas. And then the company, together with people, just follow these four steps. Step number one, elucidate your professional core. What the companies do, they ask people to, yes, to define what kind of expertise they want to contribute. Just list them. Mm. And what kind of problems or kind of projects they believe they can be good at. And you see, so it's from both sides, from the companies kind of attracting these people and from people to be proactive and coming and saying, yes, I am interested and capable to take ownership for my own age and to, you know, develop something what is me because I'm so interested, interesting and interested. So this would yeah. So, this is would be step number one. Okay. So basically, uh, the 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 employee or person looking for work in this case, and the company that they are looking at, they both have to look at themselves and say, "What do I have to offer to the company, to yep. the employee, and what does the employee and company have to offer to me, etc." Yeah. Um, now, let me ask and you. And number three player in this equation mm -hmm. is the colleges and universities, which would serve as a, a middleman between mm -hmm. the uh, people yeah. and the companies. Because yeah. that's why you see I use the, the words as a capstone, internships, etc., because it's a like ideal platform. The company can do it without colleges, just inside of the company. But let's say I work in one industry and I want to try another industry. I just join my program, whatever program, master degree, let's say, and I use my final project or any project I work in in my college to outreach the company of my choice and say, I am a student of Northeastern University. I have, I am a patient uh, with whatever is my area of interest. And could you please allow me to make my case for your company as a final project? Hmm. And, you know, 95% of companies tell, yeah, first of all, they do want to support students. Second, they love people who, you know, have proactive stand. And number three, the student or anybody who outreach them don't ask for anything. They just ask, can I please tell your story? Can I please learn about your organization and see how my area of expertise and the company what I am you know, in love with can connect? Mm -hmm. That's so, it. This is a step number two. Okay. So let me, let me ask you about the subject of loyalty. Um, now, as an avid baseball fan, I loved back in the se early 70s, late 70s, 
uh, into the 80s. I loved baseball because you knew what team was playing by virtue of the players that were on the team because they stayed with the team. And then, of course, free agency came along, and now you can go anywhere you want after X number of years. Uh, and so when, uh, you know, when you, you heard about, for example, uh, I don't know how much about uh, of baseball you uh, know, but uh, a player by the name of Reggie Jackson, they called him Mr. October because he was awesome uh, in the playoffs in the World Series. And he was with the Yankees. That's the team I remember him with. And he was with them for a, a number of years. And many players like that were with their same team for three, four, five, maybe 10 years. Who knows? Not today. They jump around mid-season, let alone every, every year. When it comes to companies, how much loyalty, and maybe we should define that too, should a company have towards its employees or its workers? I'm not even sure what the right 21st century term is. Uh, and how much loyalty should the person working for that company have to their company, and I want to throw one other thing out there. As an operations manager, I used to get asked what I thought the other state, what I thought of what other stations were doing, and I would tell them, I don't care what the other stations are doing. My job here is to make this station better today than it was yesterday, and make it better tomorrow than it is today. So, talk to me about first of all, what is your definition of loyalty in this context? My definition of loyalty is a social capital. So you are right on spot. Because if we talked about stage number one, about personal capital, right? Like me, me, I have ideas, I have dimensions, etc. But, you know, it's just step number one. And if we stay there, you're absolutely right. Without glue, without being together with something larger than me, who cares about you? So that's why social capital and developing trust is the step number two. And if whoever have any ideas, like let's say I work for the company as a, a, a operational manager, as you, you just mentioned, right? Operational manager. Mm -hmm. And I also want to, you know, grow inside of company. I want to be maybe operational manager on higher level and maybe not just an operational manager, but operational manager for, uh, you know, the combination of brand development, let's say. Uh, the step number two is to really learn the language of the company, the fabric of the company, to uh, the culture of the company, and talk with people of the company, developing these connections and, uh, and glue and relationship. And when... We are here with the one goal of a storytelling of this organization, of a learning of this, learning and connecting. This is where a miracle happened. First of all, we become less arrogant with our own, you know, like brilliance and our own just brilliant ideas. And second, we learned what the organization really needs. And we learn how to speak in the language what organization can hear us. Let's say you work for the corporation in a, some department and you really want to move up. So you can use this opportunity to go through your human resource management department or to take classes in the college. And again, it's a kind of detour 
when using these classes, you go directly to the CSUT and ask, like, I'm a student of a local college, and I am so driven to make my organization, our organization, better. So you come to the CSUT and say, could I please do this? You know, could I please tell the story of our organization? And then you start speaking, talking with people and listening to them. And this is how the loyalty happened. Again, loyalty is being a part of something larger than you. And this is what I call social, not the I call, this is what is called social capital, which is developed by uh, three dimensions. The first is a shared values. We share the same values. We believe the same stuff. Second is shared norms of what is right, what is wrong. And the number three is behavior, like doing something what is right for us as a larger than me, as a community, as a sport, you know, as a sport organization, as a company. Mm -hmm. This is a step number two, and I call develop trust. And this is the also prevent us to making the typical mistake when people who are too much into themselves, mm. they jump through this stage and offer their ideas immediately. First, they are rejected. Second, they look too pushy. Number three, they are maybe very good ideas, just not even noticed. So that's why after elucidating your core, step number two, develop trust. And uh, two examples, opposite examples of that. Number one, in uh, the uh, mid-80s, I was listening to ABC News radio, and they would get, they were reading a story that was only aired once, I noticed. I thought that was rather profound, uh, about Motorola. The, uh, and uh, they were laying off at this one particular plant in the Midwest. They were laying off like a thousand people. And the explanation for the layoffs was due to the fact that they had done an internal audit and found that over a million dollars worth of materials were missing. Now, we're not talking about a three, four, five hundred or a thousand or more dollar pieces. We're talking about just little things over the year, whether it's paper clips, whether it's paper, whether it's, you know, whatever it might be that people were taking because they thought, well, they don't pay me enough. So I'm going to take the stapler is not a big deal. You know, taking the water cooler is not, you know, not a big deal. And I wouldn't be surprised if uh, the majority of the thousand weren't some of those people who were actually pilfering. Um, and, and then you have, uh, other, the other side of the coin, uh, you have, uh, a, a, a manager that, uh, I worked with for 15 years. And, uh, one of the things that he shared with me one day when we were dealing with another radio station, uh, basically trying to steal some of our advertisers by bad mouthing us in, in the sales meeting. Uh, he would go to those very advertisers knowing that this was going on. And he told me, he says, I will never badmouth our competition. And here's what he did. I thought this was a, a, an incredible strategy. He said to them, the sales, the, the, the advertiser, look, how about you do this? You buy a package with them and with us for, say, three, six months. And whoever brings you the most business, you go with them. But he never put down the other company. And when I hear of companies advertising or even politicians, people running for office, advertising and bad mouthing their competition, 
I'm done with them because it tells me that they don't have. You go back to that first uh, item of elucidating your strengths, if you will. If you don't have enough going for you that you can promote that and you have to resort to putting down your competition. I want nothing to do with you. Because it says you don't believe enough in what you're providing to promote it and let people decide. Uh, what are your thoughts about, uh, uh, and I'm not speaking specifically of advertising, but those two extremes, if you will, in terms of the way that uh, employees, employers, companies, etc., cetera, uh, deal with uh, the rest of the world, so to speak? You know, <clears throat> it depends how they define themselves as uh, uh, for, the, for the market, for, mm-hmm. the, for the world, I would say. It's not even about job market. It's about the life. Right, and that's why I call this boutique employability as a BH, like BE. It's boutique employability as the outcome of uh, all these steps. And your example is a great example of this salesperson who unbeatable because he he is boutique. He found his own way of being a strong salesperson, but at the same time to be a friend, and to be maybe good in analytics. So he defined his own kind of niche of how he does this, and he's confident of doing this. So what he first, you see, like, perfect example you just gave me. So he first, he defined what is different about him as a salesperson. Then when he offered you to buy this and to that, he knows you, so he developed trust. He kind of speaks your language. He doesn't push his ideas. He first kind of say whatever you want. I am listening to you, and I want to speak with you on your level. And your level is kind of don't push me. Let me make my own choice. I'm just like, okay, it's exactly where we are. You making your own choice. I am with you. And only then... He will generate value. He will provide you a matrix, some kind of like measures to make your own choice, right? So he is boutique. And other people who are politicians, you know, like I am, you know, like this is the whole other conversation of what we have, unfortunately, right now when bad mouth, it's a kind of becomes almost a sport right now on the uh, TV. And I like that. That's very good. Since all of our sporting events have been shut down, we turn consider your political uh, <laughs> advertisements sports. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, like some sports are more aggressive, some sports. And mm. I, I'm just personally, I so much despise anybody on any level and the level of the company on the level of the state on the level of the congress on the level of the presidents who is uh, using names or uh, bad mouth anybody else mm. is it opponent is it uh, somebody who is not loyal it's, it's just not it's just not who i respect yeah but this is, I guess, they develop their own boutique employability for their own kind of type of people who like people who bow, you know, yeah. bad mouth. I don't. So that's why I'm not part of this crowd. 
Right. Uh, but I guess they have their audience and they have, I am one of the politicians who first do this and second do that. And also I badmouth anybody who is against of me. Mm. I guess if it's, if it's there are enough people who love people like this, I mean, it's, it's beyond my judgment. Yeah. You know, yeah. you hear, so you hear it's, about... It's again, we are back to the idea I am so passionate is that yeah. we are owners of our lives. We craft our edge. And for somebody, it would be, my edge would be what I presented to you. Your edge would be what you presented to you, you know, mm-hmm. before, right? Mm-hmm. So this one, two, and three. Somebody else, the politicians who are define themselves that I am a part of the community. I am part of us. And uh, we are doing this together and recalibrate our own community. It might be local community. It might be state community. It might be a country community for the the goodwill of us as a common goodwill. And other people define this differently. The end of the day, it's on us, how we define our age. And all I see my mission in this life, in this professional life, it provides them with a um, tool to do this, you know, to provide them with instrument to make it happen. Mm. And this is where I see myself. And this is what I hope to help as more as possible to people who are asking you know, it's it's really interesting. Uh, when I uh, took my very first sales job, and this is in broadcasting, I actually had a sales job when I was in my uh, eighth grade and high school years. I was a paper boy in Phoenix, wow. uh, in Phoenix, Arizona. And I have to tell you that even today, approaching 60 years of age, I would go back to that job if it were still available because I loved meeting the people that I got to meet. Very interesting folks, great conversations. In addition to the fact that they subscribed to the paper, I'd go collect the money and so on and so (laughs) forth. So there was a little entrepreneurial aspect of it too. And so that's the kind of the direction that I want to go into now. Um, But to tie into that, Another thing that people need to keep in mind, and I'd love for you to elucidate on this before we go forward. And by the way, we are talking with Julia Ivy. She has a book, Julia Ivy, and she has got a book called Crafting Your Edge for Today's Job Market. You want to go to. And it's all about boutique employability. That's, and if you guys and just Google boutique employability, you will come to my website, b edge.com. Beat me yes. to it there. That's fine. Um, all right. So let me jump back into this. Yes. And uh, one of the things that uh, the the first real broadcasting sales job I ever had, and I'm not professionally trained uh, salesperson. Okay, so I thought it was kind of weird that they were hiring me, but they were hiring me through the sales department because they hadn't yet fired the the program director of that radio station. But they wanted to have the new program director, me, in house before they fired the old program director. Well, he and I actually became friends, and when they did that, he didn't hold a grudge against me because he knew it wasn't my fault, and so we stayed friends. Uh, we stayed friends for the time I was there. But one of the things that I was taught was that sales is all about relationships, and of course, they went into the long explanation and so on and so forth about that. And the more I thought about it, the more at that time I thought, you know, that's awfully disingenuous. 
because the only reason that you're starting that relationship is to get money out of them for advertising on the radio. You know, and I always thought that's just that just doesn't seem right. Why can't you just come straight out and say, hi, I'm with radio station KXYZ uh, and uh, we're looking for for new advertisers to complement our programming. And we thought you would make a good uh, a good fit and so forth. In other words, cut right to the chase. And obviously that does not work. It's a, I might as well be an insurance salesman, you know. <laughs> uh, so talk to us about that concept because when it, uh, it when it's all said and done, employer employee, whatever the whatever it is, it really is all about relationships, isn't it? It both. Okay. And this is thank you so much. You just helped me so much to go <laughs> through the model, because you know, like when we have our whatever boutique employability idea, we also sell it to a possible new employer. It's the same sales. Mm-hmm. Like whereas you sold, you know, like the time of uh, advertisement in a podcast, when somebody else have their new ideas or they want to be employed, they sell their candidacy for the employer, right? Sales. So you first, you know your stuff, what you are selling. Second, you still develop trust. It's still all about relationship. And as we just discussed, it's a social capital. So personal capital is knowing, be confident and be mature and knowing your core. Second is a social capital, still develop relationship. But then we come number three, which is a generating value. If you just say, give me your money and then thank you very much, why they would do this? So you develop relationship to understand what kind of value they want to get from this, from advertisement, from your work, from anything what you sell. And you don't ask for the advertisement, you show them what kind of value they get out of this. And this is what sales is about, providing them value they got. So if you come to them and say, I want to work, you know, I want to develop this project for your company and da-da-da-da-da, what we already talked about, because I believe, and this is what you come to the value you generate, and this is a number three component. But again, without number two component, without num- component of developing trust, you are pushy and you are sales and et cetera, et cetera. With this component number two, developing trust, you become a partner who together with your um, whoever you sell this, together develop something cool, something new. Mm. And this is totally different. We want to spend our money for something. We want to hire people. We want to share, we want to post advertisements somewhere. We want to do this as long as it provides me with the value. So the component number three is generate value. And if you do your homework and develop trust, you know their language, you know their challenges, you know their problems. So you don't talk about you. You don't talk about your podcast. Nobody cares about your podcast. They care about what is there for them. So you talk with them about them. And this is a secret of generating value. Mm-hmm. And this is your professional capital when you bring in. And you see, now we become a triangle, like almost like a triptych, right? Mm-hmm. So me, me, because I have my unique 
set of competences, unique combination, which I am making me unique. Number two, I am listening to you. I don't push my unique profile to you because I'm more interested in you and what is there for you. And only after I found what is there for you and I found how my profile can actually help you, then I generate value as a solution for you to solve your challenges. Mm. So I am here not for me. I am here for you to solve your challenges and be here helpful for you, valuable for you. And this is where this bingo happens. Well, I have to say that in spite of the fact that I am trying to weed out of my uh, vocabulary the two words that I have a problem with uh, because of the dualism, you know, things just are what they are. It's not good, bad, uh, left, right, up, down, and so forth. And those two words are failure and success. Uh, because mm. failure isn't failure. Failure is lessons learned. Uh, I, Edison, for example, as the many people like to use this example, and I do too, uh, about how someone came up to him and they saw that he had like 990 different inventions of the light bulb that didn't work and said, well, how many times did you fail before you got the light bulb to work? He says, well, I never failed. I just found 990 ways that it didn't work. Uh, and uh, when he did get it to work, that was what happened. He got it to work. His goal was to create the incandescent light bulb. He had to find the right material for the filament. So the failures that we would look at as failures weren't failures. Those were lessons learned. Horse hair doesn't work. Human hair doesn't work. Uh, this and that. And, on, and the list goes on. And, and I, I wonder about that aspect. And again, I do understand this uh, from this standpoint that I, I've taken the philosophy as far as the work that I do for people, I, I, I do production for people on the side. I, I produce audio books and in, in addition to these interviews, and I also produce commercials. And I took the position many years ago, and I've been doing this for over 40 years. My job in assisting you in your project that you've asked me to do is not for me to be successful. Exactly. My job is to make you successful, and in turn, that makes me successful. But I have to make you successful first. Otherwise, exactly. it, it, that dynamic has to be in that direction. Uh, in the universe, there is always, always, always an exchange. And I've had two examples of how that worked against me and for me. A project that I did when I first got my editing software for the computer, I did this project for a woman. She listened to it and said, this is terrible. I can't use this. And she had already paid me, and I couldn't refund the money. But what I told her, I says, look, I'll make it right. Let's bring the people back in. We'll re-record everything, and then I will do it the way I know to do it, and then I'll let you listen to it. When we were done, she liked it. She loved it. She was able to use it, and she actually came back for another project. And then the, recently when I recorded an audio book. So which, you did develop trust. I did. develop Absolutely. Absolutely. And then I did an audio book for a woman who wrote this children's book. The book was, is entitled, tell folks, it's a, car, uh, a ghost girl in car number nine. And you can hear a sample of it on Amazon by putting that in. And she came in for two two-hour recording sessions. We did it in one day. And when it was over and I was listening to the CD in my car, Tears came to my eyes, not out of ego, but like, 
wow, that sounds so cool. I can't believe I did that. And by the way, having been in this business for 40 years, I am where I'm at, not because of me, but because of all of the people who have helped me along the way. And, uh, you know, if I knew all of their names, I would, you know, uh, the, the, the orchestra would be playing me off at the award ceremony right now. Uh, but that's one of the things I think a lot of people, they get lost in themselves, in their own ego sometimes. And you as a psychologist, you, you must, are, are you seeing that maybe changing more and more as we move forward in time or are more and more people starting to get more full of themselves? Uh, I see that more, the problem is that people kind of don't combine this together, mm -hmm. all three components, mm -hmm. you know, like what we, you just mentioned, first of all, your example is a perfect example. And I'm going to use your example uh, of Please. the BH because you develop your own boutique employability, your own unique mix where you first know who you are and you are different than other people who maybe do uh, audiobooks because they don't do podcasts or people who do podcasts because they don't do audiobooks, etc., etc. So you know who you are, your personal capital. You also develop trust with people. You're really trying to do and you know, understand what this woman with this children book, what is about her? What is her kind of way of communicating with other people? What is her story? And you learn your story, her story to provide value for her. So this and develop your professional capital. This is what makes you unique, what makes your uh, boutique employability of Richard. And your question about many people about themselves, yes, it's each of these angle is wrong. To be in the angle just me, 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 and this is a personal capital, this wrong. Because you forget about two other angles. Mm -hmm. Or to be right on the one angle of doing, doing, doing my job, doing my job, I'm a professional, I'm just like doing my work, and forgetting about what is your core and what other people really want from your work. What is who you doing this work for? This is also wrong. You see, just just visualize this triangle of personal capital, social capital, and professional capital. To stuck in one any angle is wrong. So in a personal wrong, in a professional wrong. But also some people who just stuck in this only social capital without really generating value. And they just like talk and talk and talk and talk. And, you know, sometimes you stay in the line in USPA in, uh, in a post office and some people on the counter and she is talking and talking. She believes she's so wonderful, but I'm standing like 20 minutes in the line and they just want her to remember that professional capital is also a part of this. So my point is triangle. Triangle, triangle, personal, social, and professional. And in the corner, we are kind, like we are in the corner. We are yeah. doing this for other people. 
to generate value for other people because we can generate special value, what, what makes us special for these people and for the value we generate. Yeah. And Julia, I had one other thing I wanted to get your observation on, and that is this. You've, I'm sure, heard it from the medical community that when we hold in anger and so forth, we actually can do ourselves physical harm over the course of time. When we don't forgive people, uh, we can actually do ourselves physical, mental, and emotional harm. So let me ask you this in light of what we talked about earlier in the interview. If I hold on to victimhood, it's everybody else's fault that I am where I'm at, doing or not doing what I'm doing or not doing and so forth. Uh, what is your observation, especially maybe as a psychologist, as to the damage that it does to an individual, let alone a company they might go work for, uh, or even an entrepreneurial venture they may take on, uh, the, the kind of damage that's done? You've heard it said that when cooks cook, they need to cook with love. That's the secret ingredient, right? Absolutely. And the food and tastes are, great. Yeah, and there are... <laughs> Several dimensions. The first one, they just stuck in past. They stuck of, uh, you know, blaming somebody who already did what they did, which prevents them to moving forward. Because the energy, we have some kind of amount of energy we can distribute and we can put our energy to past or we can put this to the moving forward. This is number one. But back to the coronavirus and everything what we have to deal with right now. So feeling a victim directly relates to the level of stress. And level of stress directly relates to the level of immune system. So when we feel victim and blaming somebody, we decreasing our strength of our immune system and we become more vulnerable for viruses. So please look forward, develop your own craft, and this is just a healthier way of going through stuff. Julia, Ivy, I want to thank you so much for joining us here on the program, sharing your thoughts and ideas as well. Uh, I applaud you because you sound very young, and yet you have two PhDs. I'm almost 60, and I have a, a fictional PhD that I created on Photoshop. Uh, <laughs> through, through all of the interviews that I have done, the programs I've produced, and the people that I have come across who have had, uh, you know, we keep talking about stories, uh, who have had incredible information that they have shared in these programs that I have hosted as well as produced. And, and I, I, I think, my God, I've, I, I know more people now who have gone after their Ph.D. I've known them before and now after. And and I'm thinking, well, I think I have my Ph.D. because I've learned so much about so many different subjects uh, and I love it. Uh, I wanted to to uh, first of all invite you, should you ever find yourself once all of this business is over maybe next, this summer or or fall if you ever find yourself out here in Santa Barbara we'd love to have you in studio to continue this conversation there's certainly more to talk about and it will be very interesting i think you're going to be you're going to be watching uh, business and and corporate actions very closely over the next 6 months i'm sure it's going to be very interesting to see how things either unfold the way they always have or to see how Things will be done that are different, how the changes 
that we have experienced will then change the way that companies and businesses do business uh, and people who work with businesses work with them. It'll be very interesting to see uh, uh, how that all unfolds over the next six to nine months. So uh, we'd love to love to talk to you again about this at that time. Thank you so much. First of all, thank you so much again for inviting me to your podcast. It was a wonderful experience. And yes, I am absolutely with you. This crisis, what we have right now, it's like lacmus paper, which will let some people and some mostly businesses to really recalibrate and rejuvenate, and they will become better than they were before, but they will, because they will find resource in their own people, and uh, they found the new ways of doing stuff, and other businesses who will, or organizations who will stuck in past and will keep blaming you know, crisis and everything else mm-hmm. that uh, they couldn't succeed. And this is the same about people. So I, my message to everybody of your audience and to myself that this time, it's a, it's a horrible time, but it also it's a time for opportunity because it gives us more space to find who we truly are and what is special about us and what is boutique about us. And this world does need us. Mm. We just have to start doing this. We just have to start, you know, moving the stage step by step, like like very consistently step, you know, define ourselves, choose our space where we really want to be, connect to this place and generate value for them. And they are waiting for us they do need us they want us to do this yeah we just have to do the first step absolutely absolutely the title of the book once again is crafting your edge for today's for today's uh, job market and we encourage you to get a copy go to the website which is b hyphen edge.com that's b e hyphen edge.com we will be linked to your website and that will be available when people go to listen to the podcast they can click on your name or if they're listening to the soundcloud uh, podcast there's a little grocery card in the upper right hand corner of the player and it'll take you to uh to julia's website and before we let you go julia i have three final questions that i like to ask all of my guests you may have answered them in some fashion during the interview but i like to ask them uh straight on just the same but I want to remind our listeners uh, that the podcasts are available. We encourage you to listen to the entire podcast because the radio show is only 50 minutes long. And we got to end it somewhere because the other programs have to come on. So please go to listen to the podcast and go to Julia's website as well. And if you'd like to support the work that we are doing, we have a PayPal and Patreon account for your security as well as ours. And if you can contribute and support us financially, thank you, thank you, thank you. If you already have, thank you, thank you, thank you. You will even take energetic support as well. And keep in mind, this is 2020, the year of perfect vision. Go within. Find out what your life's purpose is. If you aren't working right now, you've got the time. Spend some time alone by yourself. Contemplate. What is it that I really want to do? And then ask All right, so how do I get started doing that? And maybe one of those ways is to pick up a copy of Julia's book uh, at b-edge.com. The first of three questions, Julia, and again, I thank you so much for joining us, is who is Julia Ivey? (laughs) Who? 
Julia Ivey is a professional, uh, is an expert in personal strategy for boutique employability. What is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you're doing now? I want people to be empowered that this world is made for them and their boutique in this world. And it's enough space for each of us. And finally, what is your life's purpose? I just defined this. My life purpose, my passion and obsession is uh, to outreach as many multi-dimensional professionals who feel that they have to sacrifice other kind of size for to fit the job. I want them to stop fitting the job, but start crafting their edge mm-hmm. for for their life, for the today's job market, or for just for professional work. And I want them to feel fulfilled, empowered, and owners of their own boutique employability. Professor Julia Ivey, again, I thank you so much for joining us here on the program, and I thank you for listening to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, giving you choices and knowledge of those choices. Until our next broadcast podcast, love to love.